we called this. Um, hopefully, everybody can see this on their screen. Um, uh, identifying identifying states of intoxication in the field. Um, although, just before we get going with this, uh, it looks like we've just been joined by Rio Reba County Sheriff's Office. Is that correct? Sorry, guys. We're uh, in a conference room, and it was taking us a while to get loaded in here. But yeah, thank you for having us. We're not like sardines. Do you guys want to uh, introduce yourselves real quick? <laughs> We're going to start over here. Go ahead. Deputy McWhorter. Sergeant Deputy Chris Kulunet. Captain Randy Sanchez. Lieutenant Billy Merrifield. Sergeant Mark Webb. I'm Deputy Craig Yazzie. Awesome. Awesome. Welcome to you all. Um, so I was just saying that we're going to get going with the slides, but uh, hopefully we can make this interactive and have some conversations and um, talk about some of these things. So try to present or, or, or put into this content um, things that certainly I encounter a lot and things that I'm guessing that you guys will encounter a lot. So the general um, model here is that I'll present um, a, a, a case, um, if you will, uh, observations in the like essentially a case presentation and then we'll just go over some field observations and then we'll guess maybe what the substance is and then have a little bit of talk about each substance. So we'll just go through a few of these. Totally open. So here's case number one. Let's check it out. So it's a 22 year old male um, who is encountered and let's say that they're showing kind of slightly slumped posture. I don't know what a better medical term for slumped is. Maybe slumped. Slumped. Uh, walking with his feet slightly far apart, um, stride or, or, or the pace is a little bit uncoordinated, and some swaying movements of his torso a little bit as he's, as he's walking. When approached, he can draw himself up and he can steal himself. In other words, he can, he can kind of pull things together um, and present uh, in the face of, let's say, somebody wearing a, a uniform. Somebody's put together, but just after about a minute or two, his kind of his gaze softens and his posture um, loosens a little bit again. Verbal responses to questions are at times slurred. And on field sobriety testing, he shows horizontal nystagmus, uh, which we can talk about, um, and raises his arms in the turn with the walk and turn to try and balance himself. Right. So this is kind of the presentation. Field observations that we might document. Um, he's got the slumped posture what we call a wide-based gait with his feet apart. He's got what we call postural ataxia. That's that kind of swaying of his torso all over the place. He's got poor balance with his turn. He's got some slurred speech and horizontal nystagmus. Now, anybody, can anybody describe what nystagmus is? I know that this is really emphasized in um, standardized uh, field sobriety testing. involuntary jerking of the eyes right perfect tj so so movement kind of a beating movement of the eyes especially at the at the far edge of of where the eye movement goes i have to say i just want to take a moment and say this is a huge deal is made out of the reliability of this in uh, field sobriety testing manuals that i found i don't buy it um it's really not specific to any one substance and my caution that I would urge in you is that there are a lot of different things that can cause nystagmus that have nothing to do with intoxication. 
So it's really not specific. And when we say that something is, is that reliable in a legal sense, I realize that the courts might, might accept it, but it's really not specific to uh, any one type of intoxication or even intoxication as a whole. But, um, and then this gentleman, he can, he can focus momentarily, but then his gaze softens and he, and he kind of loses his focus. Any ideas from anybody? What substance might this be? Go with alcohol. Yeah. All right. Some votes for alcohol? Indeed. Ding, ding. Way to go, Paul. Please enjoy the donut. We live in Albuquerque. Yeah. Right. We see this a lot. Right. We see this a lot. Um, so let's talk about a little bit. Some pearls that I kind of included, these are like pearls of knowledge. Uh, we use this term a lot in medicine. Um, you know, somebody who's intoxicated, of course, we have to monitor for falling or stepping into traffic if, if this is a, a busy area. We want to place ourselves between them and a busy road because uh, it's amazing how quickly people can stumble and fall. Um, and the other thing that I just want to point out from a medical perspective um, is that have a high index of suspicion for internal bleeding. Uh, and especially in the brain. So it's very common for people who are um, inebriated from alcohol to have head injuries, acute head injuries, and they might not even remember it. They might not have realized it. They might not think it's important. Um, but if they you know, are not using one of their arms or their legs, if they have a crooked smile where only half of their face is smiling, something that makes us think that there's something wrong with our brain, you know, taking them to an ER might be more important at that point than taking them to jail immediately or taking them in for processing. So um, any kind of thoughts or, or observations that people have had or, or questions that you've had about people who are intoxicated with alcohol and, and kind of what to do, what not to do? Yeah. Can you just announce yourself? Yes, uh, Jason Sullivan with AP. Um, often we're told that there's comparable behaviors with somebody who's in, um, having diabetic issues. Can you talk about that and what we might be able to see that would differentiate between the two? It's an awesome, awesome point. So, right, so somebody who has a very low blood sugar can look like this. And so, you know, it would have been a real giveaway if in the case I said, smells like alcohol on their breath, right? Um, but that's one thing. And, and field sobriety assessments, we, we have to depend on a lot of our senses, right? Not just our kind of psychophysical testing. Um, so. So smelling of alcohol is obviously one thing. Um, or um, smelling of uh, alcohol smell cover-ups, right? Like mouthwash or like five sticks of gum in their mouth. Um, but honestly, there's not a really good way to do it beyond that. Now, if you have the ability to give somebody um, a breathalyzer test, um, then that would also help to differentiate if they have the alcohol on board, right? And they should not. Uh, with just low blood sugar. Of course, they can have both alcohol on board and low blood sugar. Um, and just a word about the, the breathalyzer tests, they're actually really um, reliable. Uh, the algorithm in those machines is really good. Um, uh, it is always best if they're calibrated uh, once every year to every few years, uh, but it's pretty reliable. They, they match up really well with blood alcohol levels generally. Can I add? Um, if you could just Paul Gonzalez, PCSO. Uh, what about multitasking with someone that has um, issues with the blood sugar level? So we should not differentiate. It's a great question. But, but essentially, if your blood sugar is so low that you appear intoxicated, you are also not thinking clearly. People with blood sugars that are that low can make uh, horrible um, errors in judgment. They can have difficulty focusing. They're pretty easy to distract 
uh, with distraction testing, just like somebody who's intoxicated with alcohol. Yeah, there's really, so beyond that kind of the presence of alcohol in any way you can account for that, it's, it's going to be very difficult to tell the difference, which is why a breathalyzer um, it can, can really help you out there. It sounds like that can make somebody um, suffering from diabetic issues equally as dangerous as somebody that's intoxicated if they're driving a vehicle then. They can be. They can be. Now, now another way to challenge this is you can challenge somebody with low, low blood sugar with sugar, right? So if, you, if you've got a donut <laughs> or if you've got a candy or something like this, you know, or if they say, hey, I've got, you know, something that I take and they can take that. Now, it's going to take a little while, right? So, but over the next 15, 20, 30 minutes, if they have an improvement in their symptoms, certainly a donut should not clear up intoxication from alcohol. Just, Justin had written in and is wondering if any kind of medications might cause this also, like antipsychotics or depression, anti-anxiety. Awesome. Great question. So, yes, the, the medicines that we say are cross-tolerant with alcohol, meaning that they can cause much of the same effects, are these medicines that we call benzodiazepines. So that's like Valium, Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin. These are essentially freeze-dried alcohol. Also medicines called barbiturates, which we don't see as much anymore, though sometimes people will, will still be put on something called phenobarbital. Um, it's pretty rare. Um, it's usually like intractable seizures. Um, so certainly those can cause this. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, any medicine that is sedating. So any medicine that is going to help somebody sleep, for example. Some people will take Ambien right? And not go to sleep and it will, and, and become incredibly intoxicated. It's almost the same. Uh, and they end up doing kind of uh, silly and dangerous things like plucking out all their eyebrows or going outside in their birthday suit might not even have any recollection of it. Um, so any medicines, uh, also some of our, our antipsychotics, what we call low potency, like Seroquel, a lot of that can cause um, very similar presentations. So anything that dulls mentation or makes people sleepy can also present similar to this. It's a great question. Let's go on to the next case, because we've got a few here. Yeah, and then and for the field observations, I'm going to ask you guys to, to chime in. So here's a 22-year-old female. Uh, pulled over, stopped driving. Uh, she was driving 25 miles per hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone. Uh, her eyes are red. Uh, when an af officer asks her for her license, her mother's maiden name and registration, all in series, uh, she forgets the middle part, just gives the license and registration, doesn't even remember being asked mother, mother's maiden name. Uh, does ask, answer questions, but, but the, the answers are kind of slow and a little bit delayed. And on field sobriety testing, she performs the physical testing without any difficulty. In other words, she has her balance, etc. cetera. Um, but when she's asked to do a, a single leg um, balancing and, and she's, she's asked to start with her left leg, she starts on her right leg. And when it's pointed out, she kind of giggles a little. She recovers from it, but she thinks it's kind of funny. So... What are our field observations here? What, what, what would we maybe document um, is going on here? Anybody have ideas? Now my research on, on these manuals, documentation is, is huge. This is for FSBs. Whatever those are. Thank you. Here, well, so, well, so a couple, right? Observations. She was driving slowly. Uh, she had these red eyes. Now, we would call this kind of conjunctival in duration. Let's call them red eyes, I guess. Somebody else have a, a idea or comment? 
continue. Uh, she failed the divided attention task. Right. Her mother's maiden name right in the middle of, of providing other things. Didn't even remember. Uh, slow responses. We call these latent responses. You ask a question and it takes a couple beats for her to answer. And then she just has kind of slow speech. Um, and impaired information processing on the psychophysical testing where she stands on the, on the wrong leg first. She stood on a leg. She got what was saying, but didn't really. So what is the substance in question? Marijuana. It's representing Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> Some of our other agencies might want to up their game. <laughs> it's a challenge. We're going to start the scoreboard. Nice. So, right, so uh, we call this whole family of things cannabinoids. Of course, the, the main one that's in marijuana that, that intoxicates people is THC or tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, you've also probably, all of you heard of spice. Spice um, are just a family of synthetic cannabinoids uh, that in general have much higher potency than THC um, and have a, more, a fuller effect at the receptor in the brain that THC works at. Uh, either called spice or K2. You know, a couple of pearls. Definitely distraction is probably going to be your best assessment tool here uh, because information processing is slowed and distractibility is increased in cannabis intoxication. So this is a great way to get in to, to really kind of make your case um, and assess impairment, I think, divided attention tasks, et cetera. Um, and, and you can use this to your tactical advantage. Um, there was recently this, um, this documentary actually about cannabis um, that some of us here at the university were in. And it ends with, with a field sobriety test. And the guy was just failing, failing, not, you know, not doing the right thing. And the officer says, you know, okay, now can you just bend forward at 45 degrees? You know, could you put your arms out to your sides. Could you put your arms out behind you? The guy's just complying and he puts his handcuffs on. You know, you're under arrest. So, so the guy didn't really even understand that this was going on um, uh, because of that latency or that slowness in, in processing. So it really can be used to tactical advantage. Um, the thing just to understand and, and watch out for is that spice especially, so any cannabinoids uh, or cannabis can cause psychosis in people who are prone to psychosis. But spice is, is particularly bad about this. It's just so um, essentially potent uh, that people can become psychotic. They can become um, paranoid and they can become agitated um, and depending on kind of the time course of when they had it and when you interact with them um, and, and enough stress it can kind of all of a sudden they can start to become psychotic and freak out so you, you want to watch for that it's not that everybody who's high on, on pot is just really mellow and slow uh, that can change uh, so you know I would suggest avoiding kind of scare tactics so that you don't push somebody off into this now I'm just curious how how are people giving out DWIs for cannabis, um, or and what what do you what's the word on the street? I mean, in the field, what are you guys? How how often is this coming up, and is it either leading to taking somebody into custody or not? It seems like 70% of people in New Mexico are probably using cannabis. Not a scientific number. It's just 70%. I mean, I don't know, but it's a lot, right? <laughs> well, Paul Gonzalez for the Sheriff's Department. Uh, impairment to the slightest degree is what we can use as 
theoretical sense. Um, you, know, you may do well on certain things, but if, if we believe that he's impaired to the slightest degree, it may not go anywhere. Um, and then as far as, do they have nystagmus as far as vertical nystagmus? So with cannabis, it's not a huge finding, uh, vertical versus even horizontal nystagmus. We have lots made about nystagmus in the, in the law enforcement literature. Um, uh, the stimulants are, are, are kind of a little famous for causing nystagmus, especially a PCP or fencyclidine. I didn't put a fencyclidine angel dust case in here because it's so rare these days. If we'd done this in the 80s, it would be a good case. Um, Justin also writes a note here. Yeah, uh, we would call a drug recognition expert to continue a DWI investigation if they're impaired beyond their ability to safely drive, but the impairment isn't caused by alcohol. Um, we're receiving some early data from Colorado that DWIs are, are, are increasing since the, um, what we were calling recreational cannabis, what they call commercial cannabis, um, uh, or, or decriminalization of cannabis has increased. Well, something that's important to remember is DWI here is well under the influence of intoxication. Yeah. So if you all you're using those tests for to, are to prove impairment, just impairment, not what it and is. And you take them to, to for a breath a breath test. If the breath test doesn't match how badly they did on the fields, that's when you would call in the drug expert to do their. Tests. I mean, I don't think. I would imagine that there's times when you're not exactly sure, is it alcohol that's causing it or is, it, is there something else on board? Sure. Um, I would imagine that we miss a lot of people that are driving on just because they're not having that aggressive driving. Right. Right. right, right. See, one of the other harder things with marijuana <laughs> is that if you test someone with marijuana, the marijuana, the THC is in their blood for such an extended amount of time, it's when hard to tell Absolutely. when, unlike alcohol, that's you right. can gauge it. Right. Very good points. Really, really good points. All right, let's go on. We're going to get more complex here. Case number three. 32-year-old male encountered during a dispatch for neighborhood disruption. Um, he's hyper alert. He's agitated. He's got a raised voice. Uh, he does not allow the officer on the scene to, to enter his house, and he questions his motivations for being there. Why are you guys here? What do you guys want? Who called you? When spoken to, he interrupts the officer often, almost every sentence, right? Just keeps barging in, interrupting, 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 talking a lot. Momentarily distracted by movement in the periphery. So he keeps getting distracted. He's able to bring his attention back to the officer. He's hyper kind of aroused and, and alert. But he keeps getting distracted. And his face has these multiple small superficial scars and sores. So field observations. Right, what would we uh, note? He's hyper alert. He's hyper vigilant. He's agitated, he's paranoid, he's distractible with a poor intention span, he's impulsive, that's the interrupting, again and again. He's got these, what we call excoriations, these scratches on the face. Here may not be there. So we had one vote for, can you say it again? No. Randy said methamphetamine. All right, Randy says also methamphetamine. That's a point to APD and a point to Rio Riva County. So, yeah, eat that BCSO. Yeah, I didn't hear anything from that. Yeah, I was a little quiet. Enough. Sorry. 
Now, this is, um, for anybody who's, who's participated in these talks that we do about drugs, um, you might have heard me say, this is the future of drugs that we're going to see. And, and we call this whole class um, ATS now. This is kind of the new term, amphetamine-type stimulants. And it's a huge class. I've listed only, you know, kind of three categories here, methamphetamine or meth, which is the case here. We can just have normal amphetamines, which is not meth. It's like a less potent version of amphetamine. It could be from thing, medicines like Adderall and stuff like that. And then bath salts. And I put here the, the, main, the two main substances that we find in bath salts, something called methcathinone, uh, which is an illegal stimulant um, uh, from a, derived from a plant called cot that people chew, um, and then mephedrone. There are many, many more of these amphetamine-type stimulants. Uh, there are huge labs across Southeast Asia um, that are producing a lot of these and exporting them around the world. Um, uh, we used to have a lot of labs here. They were shut down. They then moved across the border into northern Mexico. Those were shut down. They moved into southern Mexico. There's still some there, but, but um, Asia is really um, the focus these days, where these are coming from. And they are a serious problem, and we will see more of them. Uh, that's, that's the spoiler alert. So a couple of pearls. Um, as you guys have all, I'm sure, interacted with these folks, people can become extremely agitated and psychotic when they're on amphetamines. Um, uh, or in meth especially. Um, they very commonly cause psychosis. And if you are ever frustrated that there are people that you interact with who um, are psychotic when you, when you uh, encounter them and you, you, you do jail diversion and you bring them to a hospital and they don't get admitted again and again, it may be because their psychosis is being caused by meth and the meth clears out of their system and their psychosis resolves. Some people you know, are kind of chronically psychotic with this, but a lot of people are episodically psychotic. They get very psychotic, and then 12, 18, 30 hours later, they are back to their version of normal. Um, um, and it can really be a challenge, yeah. Matt, same with APD. I just had a question if you could talk about psychosis a little bit more. Yeah. Is there a way to tell the difference between a drug-induced psychosis versus strictly mental health psychosis? So, no, there is not, especially with methamphetamine, and, and lots has been written about this. Um, they do, there, there are no distinguishing characteristics. Um, and if people are using meth every day and, and they're getting psychotic from it every day, they can look like they have like a, a kind of a chronic schizophrenia, right? And plenty of people who have schizophrenia use stimulants like cocaine and methamphetamine. Um, so that also muddies it. Um, but there is no way to tell. Now, the, the, the DSM, this book that we go by that, that kind of defines a lot of these for us, they say, well, if they can abstain from this substance for a month or more, and if they still have the symptoms, well, then they probably have a, a psychiatric disorder that's, that's not just caused by the drug. So if they used a lot of meth and they were psychotic and they stopped using meth for, for more than a month and they were still psychotic well, and, and, it, and it looked like schizophrenia, maybe it's schizophrenia. Right. Um, but no, so there's not, which is why we look for some of the other things, right? So it's kind of, but even somebody who is psychotic, not from meth, might be impulsive. They might be interrupting a lot. They might be hypervigilant, right? especially if they're particularly paranoid. The skin thing, let's go to it a little bit. Um, well, we'll get to these other things. So the skin thing, like these excoriations, um, doesn't always happen. And, and schizophrenia doesn't cause that. 
right? Um, some people with meth will, who use meth specifically will end up scratching themselves a lot um, and they get this, these hallucinations or feelings of like bugs on them and they scratch at those. Um, their nerves are not working correctly and, and so they might scratch. Um, but it's not that reliable. Same thing with meth mouth, right? The destruction of teeth. This is from two things mostly. Uh, the number one thing is the dry mouth. So methamphetamine, it's high doesn't last. Um, it's high will last, you know, anywhere from, let's say, six-ish to about 10 hours. But the meth is active in you for about 18 hours, um, even having other side effects if not feeling good. And so one of those is a dry mouth. And our saliva has antibacterial properties, and it, it actually helps to keep our teeth healthy. So if you have dry mouth for that long, and especially if you're using meth repeatedly for days on end, you, you, you get buildup of the bacteria. And then also if you're using meth every day, um, personal hygiene tends not to be your priority, so you're not brushing your teeth. And this is why people get, get meth mouth. They get the breakdown of the teeth. Just out of um, kind of interest, you can, that can happen from any medicine that causes dry mouth, right? Or any substance that does. It's good to keep in mind. It, uh, I have a question for you, Doug. And it goes back to when you were talking about psychosis and being on and off. Is there a chance that repeated use of meth for a long period of time, if they quit, could it have done long-term damage enough to their brain that they continue with that? For sure. So it's, it's a great question. And there's, there's definitely... This is where this idea, this book that I said that we go by, the DSM, that says if they, if they are abstinent for a month and they still have symptoms, then it's probably not due to the drug. Meth is actually kind of a good exception to that, even though the book doesn't have a different model for that. People who use meth with any regularity have a lifetime increased risk of having psychosis. So for the rest of their life, it can be years later uh, because meth actually is damaging to our brain. Not all of our drugs kill brain cells. But meth does. It excites them so much that the brain cells kind of burst, and then they hurt the, the brain cells around them. What would you call that, like, or diagnose it as? If, if they've been on, say they started meth in their 30s, so you know that right. there's not an onset to schizophrenia then, right. and they stop in it. By, by the way that the book is today, we would actually, if it, was, if it was more than a month later, we would diagnose them with schizophrenia. It's, it's, it's a one little failure, I think, of, of this model based on what we have from good research, which is that, which is that meth causes real long-term brain problems uh, or can. What about like at older ages? Like, uh, like are we seeing an, ons- an earlier onset to dementia because of this? It's written about, but it's really not clear. Um, other things that, that amphetamines can do, they can blunt the pain response and this can, this can um, you know, a- allow people to do amazingly, kind of horrific things or dangerous things that they don't even, that don't stop them. Also, it's important to know any of these stimulants can cause a stroke or a heart attack. Um, you know, like for example, anybody who's having a heart attack and they're, and, or, or really chest pain, uh, but especially a heart attack and they're age 40 or, or less, my money is on that they did cocaine. Um, same thing for a stroke. It's fairly common. So it's, I think it's good to keep in mind that if somebody is acting like they're kind of tweaking, right, that they've been on these stimulants, and they're complaining of chest pain, take that seriously um, because they could be having a heart attack and better to kind of get them the medical attention that they need uh, rather than have a bad outcome in the back of your squad car. Um, Any other questions or thoughts about amphetamine-type stimulants? Talk about another one later on.
can't. Okay. All right, case four. A 28-year-old female encountered in a bathroom at the library. Library called. Uh, she's kind of slouched against the wall of the stall. Her speech is very slow, and she falls asleep at times in between responses. I ask her a question, wait for an answer. Sometimes she answers, sometimes she falls asleep. Wake her up. Her pupils are tiny. She barely complies with orders, but it's because she's so passive and shows poor effort rather than she's being resistant. Ask her to do something, she kind of barely moves. And her breathing rate is slow. So what are our field observations? Um, Angels. So she's got like a slow reaction to things. Okay, she's got slow reactions, right? We got that, slow speech and movements. She can't stay conscious, right? What else? That's our on-the-scene observation. She's got pinpoint pupils. Kind of apathetic, right? Or poor out effort on sobriety testing. She's not resisting, but she's poor effort and a decreased respiratory rate. So we had a couple. Uh, so the first answer that was Rio Reba. Yeah. Right? Oh, what? Well, they really, they were. Oh, Rio Reba text, uh, chatted yeah. it. Nice. They said opiates because they are in. Nice. Well, that is the heroin capital. The heroin capital, right? All right, Rio Reba County. So, right. Is that so, true up there? Are you guys getting a lot of heroin? Always heroin. Who would have thought? So opioids, right? So opioids could be heroin, could be pain pills, right? So a couple pearls, just to keep in mind, and I know you guys are, are familiar with this, um, but you know the nodding, nodding off and breathing slowly uh, is is like the most important thing in this situation, um, as we all know far too painfully. These are such lethal drugs and people, it doesn't take much for people to die. And I think because we see it so much, we can get a little bit kind of nonchalant about it. Um, also, somebody's respiratory rate that might be slow right now, well, we don't know what they used or when they used it, right? Did they take a pill that, that hasn't dissolved yet in their stomach? And after 10 minutes of our assessment, after 15 or 20 minutes, now is that in their bloodstream. So the respiratory rate can always get worse. It's not always going to get better. And, and they can die. So, so really, you know, watch the nodding and respiration, slow respirations means somebody is overdosing. I'm very liberal with my definition of overdose or conservative, whatever it is. My, my definition is like any signs of overdose are an overdose. Somebody being unconscious and not breathing in respiratory arrest, that's the worst version of it. That's, it's gone too far. Who Now, Rio Reba County, are you guys, the sheriff's office, are you guys carrying Narcan? Yes, sir. Awesome. All our deputies are carrying Narcan right now. Carrying Narcan. Um, U.S. Probation, do you guys carry Narcan? Uh, no, we do not. TJ Las Cruces? No, we do not. Um, Bernalillo County? We do. Awesome. And APD, have you guys started yet? No. But your organization just agreed to start doing it a few months ago. So it's on the horizon. So, so Rio Reba, can you guys, 
Can you guys say what your experience has been with carrying Narcan? Has this been bad for you? Has it been good for you? Has it been dangerous or troublesome? What's your experience been? Any of you administered it? Folks, because we arrived on scene before everybody. Come again? We have to clear the scene before medics are on scene. So us being on scene a lot of times, most of the time before even our volunteers, by us having it, we've actually saved several individuals' lives. Some users have it too. So you have saved lives with it, multiple lives. How about Bernalillo County? Any experience? Uh, we're fortunate enough that we have enough uh, ER emergency rescue uh, units out there that we usually get there on time. Um, and like they just said, some of the users actually have it on them yep. already, so they're administering to each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ken, any experience up there in uh, Yakima County? With Narcan, do you know are, are folks carrying it? Remember, star six will mute and unmute you. Okay, uh, they are not carrying it at this time. Okay. So some people are, some people aren't. Um, I highly encourage you guys to ask your organization to allow you to carry it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be with a needle. We have these little nose sprayers. You just spray it in somebody's nose. Uh, literally saves lives. Tisha, you had a question? Yeah, I kind of have a question for Rio Arriba County. Um, I'm just, or maybe BCA. So I'm wondering what kind of training is coming with the distribution of Narcan? Because I know that during the CIT 40 hour class, um, we have a presenter that talks about the use of Narcan and the half life and just how it compares to heroin. So like there's different considerations, obviously one that we all know probably as officers is that when somebody wakes up from, um, an overdose, with Narcander, it can be very um, violent and dangerous uh, because it throws them into automatic withdrawals. And then the other being that there's like this potential that they still need to get that medical care really soon. Otherwise, they'll go, they can receive back into their overdose because I guess the lifespan of the Narcan doesn't outlive the heroin. You got the whole training. So is that really it's literally it? It's literally it. This is this is the safest. It's such a safe and such an effective drug. All you have to understand is that people might not be happy that you've saved their life. Yeah. And then it lasts one hour. Okay. So if their opiate is still on board, they can go back into respiratory arrest, back into overdose. It gives you an hour to get them somewhere else to, okay. to an emergency. Room. And is that like is that something that is being trained? I guess is the question. Uh, yes, Bernalillo County. Uh, typically, I would administer Narcan if, if the person was agonal breathing at that point in time. If it was just a female, I wouldn't. I would just wait for sure. paramedics to arrive. Uh, but what I do for safety purposes whenever it is administered, cross the person's legs. I may step on that, uh, that leg that I just crossed over on their pants so that they just can't jump up. Okay. And I'm ready for yeah. anything that may happen. Perfect. So we are told to yeah. be careful because they pop up yeah. and they don't even know what's going on. They're like, who are you? Yeah. Why are exactly. you here? Exactly. What's the potential liability of wrong and then dying? Zero. Zero. So, so if, if now, okay, I say zero. <laughs> if you keep them laying on their back and you put them into withdrawal, and if they were to vomit and aspirate or breathe in that vomit, that could be bad for them, right? 
that's it though. Or let's say if they jumped up and then they kind of ran or swung or got it, you know, fell over or something like that. Fortunately, the laws in New Mexico, we're, we're um, one of the oldest states to, to be using this out on the street, kind of without prescription, handing it out, Rio Riva County being the, the first focus of this. Um, and our laws protect people who administer Narcan. Even um, I would assume even cops. I mean, that's, that's good to look into. It's something worth looking into, but I, I, w- I don't know why yeah. it would be any different because it's a general person. Uh, agreed. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, the, this comes up when I admit somebody to a hospital against their will when they're suicidal. I commonly say, I, am, I would much prefer that they be alive and angry with me uh, than, you know, than dead and not. So uh, it's literally a life-saving drug. Because of haunting. Haunting the ghosts. Thank you. Um, uh, also, of course, and, and I know that you guys are, are, are uh, take officer safety so as such a priority, and you know this, but, but you know, anybody who's passed out, anybody who has track marks, they could have syringes anywhere. They might not have a cap on that syringe, so just be careful in those pockets, careful in the purse. Um, you know, look before you reach out. All right. So just one thing to add about the Narcan and then being woken up, if I may, Rio Reef County. Remember, part of the symptoms of an opiate overdose is agonal or decreased breathing. And that when they first initially wake up, some of that's hypoxia, lack of oxygen to the brain. And so they really are confused. And the last time they remember, their buddies were around them. And the next thing they know, they wake up, they open their eyes, and there's a bunch of uniforms standing around <coughs> Yeah. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Also, they, they, you've taken them out oftentimes at the best high possible, right? Heroin users tell me that the best high that there is is the one just short of overdose and that they're like in ecstasy and then surrounded by, by cops, right? So it's and, 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 and extremely uncomfortable. So, yeah, it's totally jarring and um, disquieting to them. But they're alive. So awesome. Love to hear the Narcan stories. You guys are awesome for, for doing that. All right, case number five. 24-year-old male is encountered walking on a sidewalk. He's bumping into pedestrians, kind of stepping off the curb into traffic, <laughs> stepping back. Now a lot of kind of personal awareness. His gaze is soft. He does not speak very clearly. There's a delay before he answers your questions. When asked to perform a walk and turn, he just kind of says, he, he complies, he's not resisting, but he says, those aren't even my feet, but he tries it. Rather than taking nine steps before the turn, he just takes five steps and kind of clumsily falls into a sitting position. You can help him back up. He falls down. On eye tracking, testing, his gaze is very slow, and he doesn't comply quickly. You move your finger over, he kind of looks at you and looks around and slowly moves over. Right. So field observations here. He has these uncoordinated movements, delayed responses, slow speech. Does not attend well to instructions. It's not resisting. He's just with it. Feels disembodied. Right? Any guesses here? What might this substance be? We're, we're getting into the advanced range here. Justin texted in inhalants. Okay, Justin, that's a great choice. Um, and there are totally inhalants that could cause this. It's not what I had in mind, but, but very good. Uh, that's awesome, actually. Um, Randy says uh, shrooms or mushrooms. So could be, actually. That's, that's an interesting one. Uh, the disembodied 
Um, so it could be if it was a lot of mushrooms. If we're like in the in, in this like so so many mushrooms uh, that he probably wouldn't even be walking in the first place. But yes, so a lot of mushrooms could do this. Most people don't use this many mushrooms to do this, but um, a seven or eight grams of mushrooms will absolutely have this effect. Um, ding, ding. APD finally. APD <laughs> says ketamine or special K is what I had in mind. But again, uh, inhalants and high dose shrooms do, do fit. Um, but, but ketamine or special K will do this. And this is an interesting drug. Um, so we call this a dissociative drug. That's that kind of, you know, hey, those aren't even my feet, right? Try to put handcuffs on somebody. And those aren't like, my hands aren't even a part of me. And people will say things like this if they're speaking. Um, so they, they can lead them to believe that, that their body is, is parts are not connected to them. It can lead them to believe that they're incapable of doing physical things. And it actually also might make them incapable of doing physical things like getting into your vehicle. So they might need a lot of help, like going up or down stairs. This is, you know, anybody who's presenting like this um, would, is really going to need um, some assistance in ambulating the entire way. Um, fascinating drug ketamine. I'm curious to see how many people have ever encountered it. I just wonder if this is the one that people start pulling their teeth and stuff. So I've never heard, heard of people just one. pulling out their teeth. He had one that cut his leg off. Yeah, so people have this, people can have a blunted um, pain response, um, and sometimes they can feel certain pains, or sometimes they'll feel them and it won't register as pain. Ketamine is actually, we use it as an anesthetic. Um, it's used more commonly in, in veterinary medicine. Um, so I know that there have been some parts, I think like on the west side may, maybe, where there were some vet South hospitals that kept getting broken into. They were looking for ketamine, probably some opiates too, but ketamine is probably what they were scoring there. Um, it's sometimes referred to as like a horse tranquilizer. People call it special K. Um, they use it a lot at like dance parties or rave parties or sometimes concerts. Um, it's interesting at low dose, it can act almost like PCP. It's a relative of PCP. People can get real agitated and, but then at higher doses, you can, you can lose coordination. You can be dissociative, meaning that you don't feel like you're in your body. Um, you don't feel like your body is part of you. And you can be uncoordinated. It puts people at huge risk of doing something silly like walking into traffic, or walking off a cliff, God forbid, if they're driving a car. It also puts them at huge risk of being assaulted, victimized, sexually assaulted. Um, the one nice thing about ketamine is that other than those things, the drug itself does not um, kill many people, uh, which is great. Doing silly things while they're on it does very different than something like GHB, uh, which is highly lethal. Uh, anybody interacted with ketamine or, or, or people seeing this in their communities? You seen it? I've seen it. I mean, I've, I've encountered people who say they're in a K-hole. In the K-hole. Mm. The K-hole. So the K-hole is where you get with the high-dose ketamine, where you are connected to nothing maybe and kind of everything. It's actually, it can be very scary and totally peaceful. People use these, these opposite terms to describe being in the K-hole. It's, again, this kind of idea of like extreme dissociation. Um, 
where it's both kind of a neat thing and, or at least a peaceful thing and a, an unpleasant or scary thing. Uh, a lot of contradictory statements. It, I was getting information when I worked at one of the schools that they were lacing the, the marijuana with it. Lacing the marijuana with ketamine? Yeah. It's possible. What kind of effect it was having? Mostly stolen and not uh, manufactured in people's houses or things because it's a really complicated thing to make. All right, last case here, I think. Yeah, 19-year-old female encountered uh, causing a public disturbance. She's just loud and boisterous outside of a temporary nightclub. Uh, she's initially gregarious uh, with briefly intense eye contact, and then her train of thought is kind of hard to follow. Right? She just kind of looks at you and then looks around and and is, is hard. She's talking a lot, but hard to follow. She's noticeably sweating. She has flushed cheeks, right? And after about 15 minutes of interaction, her sweating is worsening. She's becoming unsteady on her feet, and her thinking is becoming less intelligible. Um, and she keeps kind of rubbing her abdomen um, and grimacing a little bit, even though she's still kind of, I don't know, hopped up. Field observation. So she's encountering the vicinity of a dance party. Uh, she's initially upbeat and stimulated, but this heavy sweating, or what we call diaphoresis, and flushing increases in intensity. She has abdominal discomfort, and, and as, as the sweating and, and, and flushing worsens, she's also getting worse with regards to her mental clarity. Any ideas? Thanks. Who said that? TJ Camacho. Yeah, lots of Oscaris is pulling through. Pulling through. And Rhea Reba also said Molly. It was actually Jennifer is her name. But that was closer. Jennifer, you can take um, So, yes. So, Molly is ecstasy. Uh, it's, ama- it's, I, it's funny, actually. A lot of people on the street think it's a different drug. It's not. Uh, the M in Molly comes from the M in MDMA. Um, MDMA is the chemical name for ecstasy, which is methylene dioxymethamphetamine. So ecstasy is methamphetamine with a hallucinogen ring on it. And I raised this case for, for two reasons. Um, one is because it's just, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to be able to identify. People will typically have very large pupils because of the um, uh, hallucinogen part of this. Uh, they're often found, you know, kind of at, at parties or concerts uh, or raves. But the most dangerous thing that can come from ecstasy use is hyperthermia. And, and people who die from ecstasy use die because their core temperature gets too high. And this is what this person is starting to show. She's starting to show signs of dangerous overdose from hyperthermia. So that's the thing to keep in mind. So if people are, you know, in this kind of setting and you suspect it might be ecstasy and they're sweating, 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 they're getting flushed. And especially then if their mental state kind of starts to decrease a little bit. Um, you, you have a potential medical emergency here. They need to be cooled down. They need to be taken to a hospital. Um, when we do these little experiments with mice in a cage and we put a thermal camera on it, the one with the ecstasy, they just glow, 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 glow until they die. Um, and most people, like young people who use ecstasy, think that dehydration is what gets them. And it's not dehydration. Um, it's the overheating. In fact, they'll sometimes overhydrate and that can now put them at risk of having a seizure because their sodium levels go so low. Um, so any questions about ecstasy? It is a type of methamphetamine, so it also does brain damage, unfortunately. Um, bummer. 
Yeah, I was gonna do it. I just picture a list in your pocket of things you're gonna do when you retire. It's just a list of different drugs you're gonna try. You're like bummer until 20 years from now. I, I retire at 3 p.m. this afternoon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, any any so any thoughts or questions? That's the last case. So I have a question on that one. Yeah. So if we are if we're dispatched to let's say a big party or a rave or something like that, yeah. and we are someone's like, hey, come help me, my friend, they're passed out, and they and they tell us that they're using X or whatever like that, and they seem overheated. Is there anything we can do? Why we wait for the paramedics to come? Absolutely. It's a great question. So if they have a lot of clothes on, if they have multiple layers on, take off the heavy layers, right? I'm not talking about, you know, take off all their clothes, but, but if they have a jacket on, you know, open it or, or at least take that off if you can. If they're yeah. inside, move wow. them outside to where it's cold. So, so this is in, 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 the, in harm reduction, this is the advice that I give people. If you're, if you're going to take ecstasy, and you're at a dance or rave or concert or something like that, when you get hot, go outside and cool down and then come back in, right? Don't stay in and drink water, which is what too many people do. That's not going to help you. Go outside and cool down. So any way to cool them down. So, so in that situation, if you can get them outside, that's probably, you know, if they have a hat on, take their hat off. You can retain a lot of heat with that. Things like that, little things. Where do they take the pacifier? Where do they eat Okay, well, two questions. We'll get to yours because you asked it. Uh, Lawrence asked, why did they take, use a pacifier? And that is because so all these stimulants, amphetamines, cocaine, um, ecstasy, they cause uh, what's called bruxism. They cause the muscles of the, of the uh, our chewing muscles to, to tense. And so you end up grinding your teeth a lot. So if you can use a pacifier... That can offset that. Chewing gum can do that as well, or you can just like chew, 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 chew. So that's why people put things in their mouth, so that they're not so distracted um, by that, or it's not painful, uh, the, the bruxism. Okay, so I've gone to a million overdose calls, and you always go to a call, and you, you find people that have a bag of chili in the person's crotch. Yes. Because they, <laughs> I was going to say it. I was going to say it. It's, it's, because it's a they, think, they think that that's a way to snap them out of it. Would that work yeah. for this particular thing? Like, let's say, get some anything, anything that cools down their body and temperature. Them. Absolutely. It, 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 I was I was thinking of of the frozen chili thing. Yeah, it's because so many. Yeah. It's always yeah. it's always frozen yeah, it's chili. It's not like, not like, like oh, on the right. Right, frozen chili because it's to cool down their core temperature. So. Yeah, so if there, if you have a bunch of frozen chili at a rave, um, you might use that. But no, anything to cool them down in this case is, is something that you should do. Absolutely. Great question. We have a one minute left. Other, other questions from anybody on the network? Uh, Jason Town, U.S. Probation. We seem to see a, um, a big problem with people taking Suboxone into our halfway houses, which gets them automatically terminated. Um, can they receive any kind of high off of Suboxone or anything of that nature? Um, I had a specific individual who who woke up on the floor, woke up on the floor with staff around him. During the day, he was he he took Alavil, um, Welbutrin, and three strips of Suboxone, and he was up at one a.m. and he was flying all around the halfway house, taking off his clothes, doing some odd behaviors. 
Yeah, great questions. Probably, I would uh, probably blame the Elevil before anything um, in that case. So Suboxone, it's a really good question. If, if people have not taken opiates and have not taken Suboxone anytime soon or anytime recently, then the first dose of Suboxone might cause very, very minor feeling uh, adjustment, right? It's not, I wouldn't even call it intoxication. I've, I've never heard anybody describe actual intoxication when taking it. They might feel a little lightheaded. You might feel what they call a little buzz, but it's super minor. And then it's not going to happen with a subsequent dose. So if they've taken Suboxone earlier that day, if they've taken it the day before, it's not going to happen. That's one of the great things about Suboxone is that it's not intoxicating. Now, now that's assuming that they're taking it by putting it under their tongue, right? So if it's, if it, if it's the Subutex version, which is just buprenorphine, and if they melt it down and shoot it up, you can get high from shooting up buprenorphine, the drug that's in Suboxone. But if it's actually Suboxone, it has built-in Narcan to, to prevent people from getting high if they shoot it up. That's what the Narcan, the naloxone in Suboxone does. So, so like in, now, but amitriptyline or Elevil can be totally intoxicating um, if they take it. And some people report being intoxicated by Wilbutrin. Um, I've only heard people actually in jail reporting this and like, you know, anything will get you intoxicated in jail because it just sucks to be there otherwise. Um, but like on the street, it just typically is not doing much for people. So I do not tend to worry almost at all about buprenorphine intoxicating people um, because it just doesn't happen beyond that first dose, if that answers your question. It's a great question. I just Please. to add something. Um, if, if people are abusing amitriptyline, it, has, it, it, it can be very dangerous in, in over, overdose situations. So... Um, if there is a suspicion that they've taken a lot of amitriptyline, that could be a medical emergency. And you should probably get some medical attention. And a lot here is, you know, a, a week's worth of amitriptyline can kill people. Um, so it doesn't have to be a whole bottle. Uh, that whole class of medicines called tricyclic antidepressants uh, used to be our, our number one cause of, of lethal overdose um, back in the 70s. So... Awesome. Um, so we're at the top of the hour here. Just curious, is this sort of format or these, this sort of kind of exercises interesting or useful to folks? Um, and is there anything else that you would like to see in the future that we could cover? Let's go with that first. Uh, Jason Town, U.S. Probation. Yes, this is very informative. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, real quick, just because we're on the topic, and I know that we probably all have seen the recent um, comments from the DEA about us being careful with fentanyl. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know how this is affecting other agencies across the state, but um, for the police, to, for Albuquerque Police Department, we are going to be changing our standard operating procedure so that if there's any kind of white powdery substance, we're not going to be able to test it, to field test it, um, or open it, any exposure to it whatsoever. It's going to be a delayed testing process because it is so super deadly. I don't, I mean, I know it's not super relevant to the class, but it's being, it's been really deadly across the nation. So I just yeah, thought no, it worth mentioning. No, it's, it's, it's important. And, and it's not like if you touch some fentanyl, you're going to die. It's, it's when people inject it that they do. Um, it's, it's, it lasts longer. If you breathe yeah. it in. It, you would have to breathe in a sizable amount to overdose on it. It came out because there's some 
call or case where I think a SWAT team was executed when they all died. Yeah, because it was all died. exposed. So they shot a bag and it became aerosolized and they were breathing in a cloud. I mean, that's... There's fentanyl and then there's another... The SWAT team's not good at shooting things, so there's no way they could have hit a random ball. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, fentanyl, it's a real deal. It's killing a lot of people. It's being mixed I'll with heroin because it's, and it, again, it's coming from Asia. Um, and it is, um, who knows how they're getting it in. And it's this acetyl fentanyl. It's this version of it that, that is killing more and more people. Um, and they're mixing it with heroin. It's really a bummer. Uh, but it's, it's another opiate. It's a type of opiate. So it has the same kind of presentation. We'll have to share with you though. Yeah. yeah, please. I'd love to see it. We're going to send out certificates uh, for everybody so you get credit for being here. Certificates will be sent out on Monday, so look for those. And I'll probably need to get with Justin to make sure we got all the names um, from you guys as well. Jason. Jason. Awesome, Randy. Yeah. yeah. Really appreciate everybody's participation. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah.